You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes and even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will thrive So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, everybody. It's Lisa Cherney. Welcome to the latest episode of the Get Fucking Real show. And I am feeling very blessed lately to have embarked on this really important conversation about getting real long before the stakes were raised like they were because of what we are all walking through on this planet. Without getting into details, we all know that we are tolerating a background level of struggle. And when we add to that what is going on in our own life, it's pushing us uh, or pulling us, encouraging many of us to make some big changes in our life, in our business, in our relationships, in our geography, you name it. So today's guest, Holly Mignosi, is uh, just, <laughs> I, I can't wait for you to really meet her. The title of our episode, starting with from Cracked Out Model, is, it sounds provocative, but it is the God's honest truth of her story. And when I met her, she was talking about how in one sort of period of time, she quit drugs, a job, and a marriage all at once. And I thought, I need to have this person on my show. Because her after story and her after state and where she is now with her business and the space that she holds for people is so beautiful. And so I hope if you can relate even in a small way to anything she's about to share, that it gives you permission to make some changes in your life. Because here, here's a question I want to start off with, which we always start off with a question. And that is, how bad does it need to get before you make changes? You've observed yourself. How bad does it need to get to before, before you make changes? For me, you've learned, if you listen to the Who the F is Lisa Cherney, which is one of our very beginning episodes, I talk about how I have a low tolerance for not being happy, which is still true. And even more so now, I just, I don't wait very long, but there's some things that get by me. Like sometimes there's people that are on my team in my business that need to transition out. And I, in the past, have been slower to do that. But then there's other things in my life that I just like rip the bandaid off real quick. So we probably all have a, like a gradation scale of um, different things that we can tolerate in different areas of our lives. Well, for Holly, after 15 years in the modeling and acting industry, she developed an addiction to perfectionism, and that led her to use cocaine. After walking in on her three-year-old daughter holding her drugs, 
she decided to quit everything, the job, the husband, the drugs, all of it, and stopped being what she calls the model of perfectionism and started becoming a model of transformation. And she's just a real neat lady. What I also want to give you a heads up on is that she does share an additional confession that is not something that she's shared actually ever before. And she had to get permission from her now 17-year-old daughter to share something that happened to her when she was 13 and something that Holly helped her walk through um, in her own life. And it's just, it feels very uh, important right now. It's the end of when you, if you're listening to this real time, it's the end of August when this episode is released. It's back to school time and it's a fucking crazy mess with schools not starting live and kids online and just all of it. It's, it's insane. And it is a challenging time to parent, especially younger kids. And so I just thought that this also, this episode would really fuel the soul of uh, the parent or auntie or grandma that is listening or grandpa or uncle that's listening to this message and has young people in their lives that they can be on the lookout for now that they can encourage to make changes if things are not serving them. You know, it's put a pause on the craziness schedule that a lot of kids are running and now perhaps an invitation to bring back things more intentionally. There's just so much that's possible in the context that we're living now. So I can't wait for you to meet Holly. Um, She's now the CEO and founder of the Dynamic Dream Life Group. And in with that work, she help speakers and experts increase their influence and their impact through the art of body language, neuroscience, and storytelling. And in fact, for our GFR squad members, which yep, that GFR squad thing is still happening. And if you have thought I should join that thing, now is the time. There's a lot of fun things happening. Our monthly uh, community confession calls for the GFR squad are hot, hot, hot. And, uh, and for our GFR squad, Holly teaches the uh, body language IQ quiz, and she gives it to me. <laughs> and you'll get to see how, I, how well I did on that quiz. That is if you join the squad. It's only 20 bucks a month. Go to GFR squad, excuse me, go to gfr.life forward slash squad to join that and uh, hang out with us and snuggle up with me closer. I'd love to snuggle up with you. All right. So without further ado, I can't wait for you to meet Miss Holly Mignosi. Holly, I'm so excited you're here. Me too, Lisa. I can't wait to get rocking and rolling. And I practiced your name, so I want to say it. Mignosi. Perfecto. That's my Jersey Italian accent. (laughs) (laughs) The event that we met at, I think it was like the first sentence that came out of your mouth. And I was like, I must have her on my show. And of course, people will, they, they may have already have an inkling from the name of the episode. And if they're seeing this on video, they're going to be like, this is the person who was, no, they're going to see like I have a disconnect between the person that you are now and the person you were then, which of course, you know, is why we're here. Yeah. <laughs> There's a before, during and after when it comes to that birthing our mission and the struggle that serves you know, that mission, which I know you would now help your, you know, clients with. And so I really appreciate you coming on the show and being willing to like go there with the story and maybe even share more than you, you know, might normally when you, you know, give the vulnerability part of your talk. (laughs) 
Yeah, at least I'm really looking forward to this. Thank you so much for creating the space and the safe space and the platform for people like myself and other entrepreneurs and experts to get fucking real. <laughs> you are very welcome. You are very welcome. I think you are like you are the very embodiment of what this platform is for because you know, when I read your bio, which I did, you know, part in the intro, it just sounds so glossy and shiny and wonderful. And you look glossy and shiny and wonderful. And we're so, we, we so compare, you know, that I love that expression, you know, we compare our insides to somebody else's outsides, yeah. you know, it's just what we do. And so I love that the show kind of dispels all that and gives you like the nitty gritty underbelly, you know, that somebody went through to, become what appears to be the shiny person so that they can, you know, they can release some of their shame around the things that they're hiding and that they're not talking about. Yeah, you know, I love this saying by the poet Rumi, if you're so afraid of the rub, how will you ever be polished? Ooh, I like that. And so I've had a few rubs along the way and I'm looking forward to sharing those, yeah. So where do you want to start your story? Let's start when I was 21, 22. Okay. Let's start there. Okay. I was living what I would call my dream life. I had a lot of success early in life. I was doing what I wanted to do and helping who I wanted to help and making great money. I was modeling and acting by day. I was emceeing fashion shows and I was in the fashion shows, did some TV commercials in my hometown of Sacramento. And then at night, I was a modeling and acting coach at the number one modeling and acting school in my hometown. And I had a lot of early success. I was making great money, doing what I loved and helping other people break into the business. So there was a sense of contribution and fun and everything was great until so, it wasn't. Until it wasn't. And so back then when, you know, one of the things I love to talk about with guests is sort of like, what, what did success look like, you know, or dream life look like back then and the, the, the measurements of what that, you know, how, the, how you tick those boxes then versus, you know, versus now. So can you give us the, the 20 year old Holly and what had her feel like that was her dream life? Hmm. Well, I had a high value for beauty. Mm. I actually thought I was going to own a hair salon. And so being able to wear beautiful clothes and be on the runway and, I felt natural on stage. I felt like I got to express of part of me and have fun. It was fun. And then there's a teacher side of me. When I was little, I wanted to be three things. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a professional volleyball player. And I wanted to be a mermaid. So I was like, okay, I got to be a teacher. This is it. And I love sharing knowledge, any kind of knowledge, in a way that inspires other people. So I was deeply fulfilled and I have always had a bit of an entrepreneur side of me. So making good money, I had check, 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 all of my boxes checked, as you say. And my father was also in the acting business, television business, radio and film. And I kind of felt proud that I was seemingly following in his footsteps. And did you have an inkling that that's what you wanted to do when you were younger? because you were exposed to it with your dad or? Yeah, I think so. I think I always admired my father for being in radio and television and film. I thought that that was, it took courage 
to put yourself out that way. And I saw that as courageous. And I, and he's, he was very charismatic. He was fun. The guy that everyone wanted at the party, he was always easygoing. He knew how to make himself humble and have other people laugh at his expense. He was just very charismatic. You know, he had interviewed Hugh Hefner, Barbie Benson. Is that right? Hugh Hefner. So. Yeah. Wife. He even interviewed Charles Manson. So there was this kind of idealistic sort of image that I could raise up to walk in his footsteps. Yeah. Yes. I could totally feel that. Yeah. Yes. So when did the dream life start to shift to the not so dream life? Yeah. One day my boss, John, called all of us runway coaches into a room and he announced that he was going to make that company number one globally. And in order to do that, we all had to look like celebrity models and actors. Now I was in a little little town of Sacramento, you know, and it has a very country aspect to it. There's a lot of farmers there. And so we were not celebrity in any way, but that was his commandment, if you will. And I knew at that moment I was in trouble because celebrity models are 5'9", 5'10", 5'11". I'm only 5'8". So in my industry, I was short. And those models have very specific measurements. And I did not meet those measurements. Let's just say I'm more curvy. I'm more athletically built. And even though I was a size four, I knew I was still not meeting those. Well, I didn't measure up. Let's just say it that way. And he said, okay, I want each of you to get on the runway. And he measured us. He took out a measuring tape. Oh my God. And in front of each other. Now, mind you, I had hired some of these coworkers. They were my, not just my peers, they were my employees to some degree, and they were my friends. And he proceeded to measure our bust, waist, and hips. And the first model went up, and I knew she was perfect, and her measurements were perfect. And he was like, okay, great, next. Second model went up, and she was perfect, and I knew she would be, and then I was called. And my bust and my, my waist were okay, but when he got to my hips, they were not one, not two, not three, but four inches too big. Now to you and me right now, four inches is about this much. Oh my God. And that doesn't seem like much, but in that arena, I was fat. And he looked at me, pointed to my hips, turned to everybody else and said, if any of you have this problem, fix it or you're fired. And I, my heart just sank into my stomach. I had really good self-esteem until that moment. And at that moment, I felt shame. I was embarrassed. I was the bad apple of the bunch. Everyone else was perfect but me. And in a moment of pain, I did what many of us do. I decided that that will never happen to me again. And I started seeking by any means possible, how am I gonna get this much off my hips? I was a size four and five eight. And so I started exercising more and reading up on nutrition and diets. Oh my God, I was 21, 22 years old, dieting, the cabbage diet, the, you know, the, the, whatever diet you could think of. And I bought every pill, powder, and shake, guaranteed to make you lose weight or your money back. But nothing worked until someone gave me a little bag of white powder and said, try this. And I thought, why not? And it was cocaine. And I used it. And the inches fell off within a matter of weeks. And that was the only thing that worked. And suddenly, 
my life changed on the outside. I was getting compliments from coworkers, accolades from my boss for my new sleek physique, looking pretty good, Holly. I would hear walking down through the hallway and I got a raise. I opened up a modeling and acting agency. I started elevating my prosperity, my authority. And so everything looked perfect, air quotes, perfect on the, on the outside, but on the inside, I was dying. I knew I was a fraud. I knew if I ever quit that the weight would come back. And to me, those four inches made me fat. And I knew I had, I had headaches, heart palpitations, sleepless nights, stress. It was making me, quite frankly, a cranky bitch. I mean, I don't know if you've ever gone a day or two without eating, but your blood sugar drops and my personality was changing, but I couldn't give it up no matter how hard I tried. Because so much external validation, that's really hard. So much external validation. I got love and acceptance in all the right ways from doing something in all the wrong ways. Oh my gosh. And I was sharing this with you before we started rolling, which is that I have a history with struggling with food and my body image and exercise, you know, and was in 12-step program for food when I was in my 20s and early 30s. And what I found fascinating back then was being in those rooms, in those 12 steps rooms and seeing the diversity of the bodies. And for me, you know, there were people that were, you know, bulimic, you know, binging and purging in different ways, whether that through was through exercise or vomiting, you know, and there were the people that were anorexic that weren't just not eating, you know, and then there was me and people like me that were compulsive overeaters that typically we're bigger because we were just eating and, you know, keeping it, <laughs> keeping the food. And I remember judging the, what I would call the thin, or at the time I was probably calling them skinny bitches at the yeah. time because I was in so much pain. And I just thought, what are you doing here? Like you look the way I want to look. Why are you here? And of course I quickly came to learn that they were in just as much pain as, as I was. And just like another, you know, underscore in that, you just don't know what people's struggles are. And you're, if you're comparing, you know, your, what you know, obviously your insides, you know, your whole story to what somebody else looks, you are just torturing. You're actually abusing yourself if you do that. If you compare, I've, I've never used those words, but I just think it is so abusive to, to even engage in that, in, to, in that dialogue. And so I really, I, my heart goes like out to that young Holly because she sounded like she was beautiful and self-confident. And like you said, you never had body images before that moment, which, which it was a miracle in and of itself up to that point, right? That you had that confidence. So that, that was amazing. And then, and then, however, there was something, I'll, if I could say that, and you could tell me if you don't, this doesn't resonate with you, something broken inside of us that, that, that somebody can, that one person, John, you know, can, who you looked up to, you know, and I've had bosses and people do this to me too. Like they say one thing and it completely zaps me, you know, like that he zapped you then and, and into a, a whole, you know, spiral of you feeling not good enough and fat at a size four and six, what'd you say? Five, eight, five, eight, five, eight size yeah. four. And you now feel fat just like, ugh. it was a whole culture of comparison. Right. And what's interesting is it's also a culture of rejection. And I really feel it's important for me to, to share this too. I don't feel like he was the villain. 
in my story. I'm in no way making the industry wrong for that. Because on the flip side, there were some girls who were very slender who could not gain weight and were teased for being too skinny. And that industry is a healing for them. They, they're too skinny in their own mind and they've never been called beautiful. And so I saw in many ways that for those women, this was a beautiful thing, but not for me. And that's still okay because I know that I know a thousand percent that this was the journey that I needed to go through to be who I am today, to help the people that I help today with the things that they need help with. And I'm grateful to him. I'm actually grateful. Thank you for that. And I'm grateful to myself for pulling myself through those hard times. Uh, and the industry was one of comparison. The industry was one of constant rejection, which helped me get a nice thick skin. But the funny thing is, even though it was thick on the outside, it was very, very soft and gooey on the inside. I was constantly looking for that validation that I was good enough. I was pretty enough. I was attractive enough, thin enough, or wanted. So much so, and we can get more into this later, but so much so that when I actually met my husband and I was bigger when I met him, uh, I didn't believe him when he said I was attractive. I didn't believe him when he, he said, you know, he loves thicker legs or a thicker hips. It took years for me to believe that. And I didn't realize how intense the programming was that I had done on myself. I would look in the mirror and say, I hate my hips. I hate my thighs. I hate my legs. And I would intentionally dress to cover those body parts. When looking back, oh my gosh, I was beautiful in every way, but I just couldn't see it. Yes, I completely relate to that transformation around being able to see and love your body yeah. without changing it. Yeah. <laughs> Which, you know, when I talk about body image stuff, I often say, step one, buy clothes that fit. Don't worry, you know, don't change a thing about how you eat or set goals or, you know, all of that stuff. Just buy clothes that fit that you feel good in and you'll immediately feel better. It's like, how can you feel better right now without changing anything? You know, we punish ourselves with tight clothes and, you know, all these things. So, so now you're, you're 20, 21 and you're addicted to cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. And I had vacillated between like cocaine and speed and I had tried a couple of other things as well, but those were the two primary ones because those brought the weight off as fast as possible. And I used on and off for 10 years. I would try to quit and then come back and then quit and come back. And as the weight came back, you know, I would use again. And sometimes I felt like I had a handle on it. And other times I knew I didn't. And I used off and on until I was in my early thirties until things got dangerous. And I met someone, we got married and I got pregnant. Now I was able to quit while I was pregnant and when she was little. And it was almost like being pregnant gave me permission to be bigger yes. permission. It was okay to be with a big belly and, you know, more full hips even. And I stayed teaching. And in fact, I was teaching kids and they would rub my belly and I felt great about my body. And when she was about three, two or three, we started having some problems in the marriage. And that's when the old friend of me came back. I wanted to lose more weight, even though I think I was a size six, I wanted to get back into the industry and the old friend of me came back and then he and I started using off and on on weekends 
And you know, those chemicals are addiction, you know, they're addicting in the body. And then he meaning your husband, he meaning Mm -hmm. your husband. Okay. The frenemy is cocaine. The frenemy is cocaine. And the, he is the husband. And he is the husband. So you you. and the, and how was he using when you met him? Like, is that always, was that always part of your relationship? Not in the beginning. (laughs) Not in the beginning. Yeah. It was like people we were hanging out with, you know, and then it was like a weekend thing. So for him, it'd be like, eh, I guess they call it recreational. It was like a weekend he could take it or leave it, but we were still doing it and he was smoking pot. That was more his thing. I was more of the upper girl. He was more the chill guy. I wasn't so interested in the pot because why? It makes you eat. No, thank you. Yes. <laughs> no, thank you. You know, it's like, and, you know, I've heard this and I think it's so true. Your values go out the window when your needs aren't being met. And the funny thing is I valued health. I actually was exercising and trying to work out and I thought health is really important. But what was really underneath that was I need to stay skinny to get accepted and not be an embarrassment in my business because I'll never let that pain come back, that shame. And so we were using off and on and we had a live-in nanny that lived with us. God bless her. So when we would go out and party all night long, she would be there with our little one. And one day we came home from a night of partying and, you know, I walked in and she was like, mommy, play with me. You know, there was our little blonde hair, blue eyed ball of sunshine. And he said, I'm going to bed. So he went to bed and smoked and fell asleep. And then she and I sat down and played tea party together. And after a little bit, I got actually thirsty, went to the kitchen, came back and she was gone. And I thought, okay, where'd she go? And I went to her bedroom. She wasn't there. I went to her bathroom. She's not there. And my bedroom door was open just a few inches. And you know that intuitive feeling when you just know something's wrong? Yes, I do know that. Mm-hmm. Something's not right. And I walked into my bedroom and there was my ball of sunshine sitting on the floor with her pink little tutu with the little flower petals on it, holding my drugs in her hands, almost putting them up to her mouth. And I ran to her checked her mouth. She didn't have anything in her mouth, checked the containment and it was sealed. I had gotten there just in time before she consumed something. And I grabbed those things from her, put them away. And then it was all of a sudden I got this, I call it divine download, like this flash. And it was fast. I saw images, pictures, and I heard questions. And the questions were like this. What if you didn't get there in time? What if you had to call police? What if they called CPS because you're both using? What if they had to take her away from you? What if she ended up in foster care? Because you can't fucking quit. And the worst question of all, what if she grew up without a mom and dad and she ended up like me? And that question, you know, it was just so painful that in that moment of pain, I made the right decision. Again, you know, pain is such a motivator. Have you ever felt that kind of pain where you make a decision? And this time the decision was, I have to change my life. I can't do it for me, but I can do it for her. And I have no idea how I'm going to do it, but I know I need to quit three things. I need to quit drugs. I need to quit my job and I need to quit my marriage. I have no idea how I'm going to do that. And that all, all came, like you, you, you came to that realization all at the same time. All at the same time. Wow. And, and so bravo. And I am intrigued by confessions and realizations and truth telling. And so 
I'm, I'm so eager for the rest of the story to unfold because you have that realization and you have that pain mo moment. And, and we have all been there in some way, maybe not as profound as you, but it's like, you can't get into the genes and you're like, you know, there's demoralization or, you know, somebody in your life treats you badly and you're like, that's it, you know, fill in the blank with whatever realization you have. And then it, and then I'm just fascinated with how and when does that stick? Mm. And, and then how and when do we begin to walk out, walk it out and take action? You know, um, I was just talking with a client the other day who asked her husband for a divorce and she had been here before. And she's like, you know, she's like, what, what makes this time different? Why do I feel like I'm not going to go back on it again? You know, and, and really actually, because of course this is connected to her mission. That's what happens with my, you know, that's who I work with. You know, this is totally connected to her mission. So now we're like, okay, well, we need to figure that part out because that's what you, you're going to be teaching, right? You're going to be helping people to really see what's going to make that decision. What, what makes that decision actually stick and then the actions as scary as they could possibly be happen. So do you, you have some insight on that? Yeah. The, I mean, the first step was just make a decision and it doesn't mean you're always going to feel like that's the right decision. Were there moments when I doubted? Yes. Were there moments when I felt cravings? Absolutely. Were there moments where I felt like, I don't know where else to go for work. I've been in this industry my whole life, my whole life. What else? I'm not qualified, so I thought, to do anything else. as my inner dialogue. I knew, though, that the marriage was done. And that was that I didn't falter on. And so I just kept taking it day by day. And so my journey may be different than other people's journey. My journey, I walked it alone in, in many respects. I didn't go to NA, Narcotics Anonymous, although I definitely qualified. I didn't even, it wasn't on my radar. I was still in denial, like, oh no, that's not for me, that's for other people. I can, I can do this on my own. And that may be the route for someone who's listening to this. And I'm not saying my way is the only way, but this is how I did it. I knew I needed to get help. So I valued health, like I said, and I knew a bit about exercise and nutrition. And I knew I needed to quit and the cravings were immense. So I hired a personal trainer. Craving for cocaine or food? cravings for cocaine. Okay. For detox, the detox, detox was hell without support. So I said, I'm going to, I'm going to exercise. Every time I felt the craving, I went for a run. I, what I was doing was a pattern interrupt. I didn't realize it, but I would go exercise to just get my body away from the possibility of making a phone call or my connection or my hookup and just give myself some time. And I knew every time I exercised, I felt better. I knew that. So I hired a personal trainer. His name was Tom the trainer. And he was 6'2", tall, dark, handsome. And Lisa, I was highly motivated to not miss one single session. <laughs> <laughs> he had muscles for days. And it was good for me at that time. For the first time, I was receiving compliments for being strong, not skinny. And I was receiving compliments for eating right, not, not eating at all huge paradigm shift. And within a, four, a few months, he said, Holly, I think you're pretty good at this working out thing. I think you should become a trainer. I was looking for a job. He knew that. I said, okay. So within four months of knowing each other, I got certified and we opened up our own business together. I went from one entrepreneur business to another and we opened up Beyond Fitness Personal Training. And see your current husband now. And I might've married him. <laughs> I didn't know that part of the story. 
story. <laughs> All right, you might have married Cinderella. him. I might have married him. He might have actually been my hero. Yes, yes. Oh. But we went into business for, with each other. And yes, a passion for health and fitness turned into a passion for each other. And our business took off instantly. We were exploding. But still, this funny thing happened, Lisa. I still felt like I was hiding. I didn't want my fitness clients to know that just six months prior, I was a druggie. That was not in line. I don't know why, Holly. I just don't understand. Imagine. (laughs) (laughs) So although I was free on a certain level, I was getting healthier in my mind and my body and physically much better as a role model for my daughter. I was more patient, more calm, headaches, heart palpitations, all that went away. And I felt like every day I was so grateful to wake up again to help people because that's where my heart is. I am a born teacher. I need to learn something and teach it to others. That's where my fulfillment comes in. And all of that was happening, but I was still hiding. And then a little bit of my story came out to one of the clients and she said, oh my gosh. And I was very reluctant to tell. I thought, I'm going to be judged. What is she going to think? Uh, I'm not all that healthy. I have this whole skeleton in my closet. But you know what's interesting when we share our story? We don't know what other people's stories are. We don't know what connections they're making with our personal story that there's no way we can see. And those connections don't happen until we have the courage to reveal it. And what I learned was the truth is people don't care about your success until they have compassion for your struggle. And when I shared my struggle, she said, oh my gosh, I get it. You didn't have an addiction to food. You had an addiction to drugs, but addiction is addiction. And that's why you're so compassionate with people like me. And I was like, wow, I never made that connection. I guess I get what it feels. I know what it feels like to look at your body every day, no matter what it looks like and say, I hate what I see in the mirror. And I wanted to heal women from that. And in the process, I was healing myself. But by sharing my story There were these new connections that my clients were making with me, a deeper connection, an authentic connection, a bonding connection. They felt like now they were not just, you know, Holly the trainer, but they were like my best friend because I was sharing something that I didn't share with everybody. And then they began to tell their friends my story and they began to tell their family members my story and people came out of the woodwork to work with us. And it was because of who we were what we stood for, the discipline that we had to overcome the things that we had overcome. And there's no way I could see that while I was hiding my story. I was afraid. Yes, 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 yes. Love this. And of course, you know, the listeners know that you're now a story expert and, and you're telling your story beautifully, by the way. I'm like, I keep like, gosh, this sounds so, so, so many people that share their story, they're just at, it's just so vivid. And, and uh, so I really appreciate, I'm receiving your expertise that was birthed through this story of you being a story expert. So yeah, thank I, you. I, I really appreciate that. So when and how did the transition come to moving what it sounds like a bit away from that business with your hubby and, you know, being known for that? I'm sure that was great to have notoriety for that and to feel congruent because you're sharing your story. It sounds like there was a time where maybe that it became apparent that that really wasn't the long-term plan. I guess, what do you want to share with us around that transition? 
Yeah, you know, if you would have told, if someone would have told me back then, you are going to be sharing your skeletons to millions. I'd have said, hell no. <laughs> this, all this stuff is going to stay in the closet as far as I can keep it back there. You know, even though I was sharing with clients, my clients were my friends. I mean, personal training is called personal training because it's very, right. very personal. There's a deep connection and a rapport. And I still felt that it was safe to share with them. And I had no clue that the divine design was for me to embrace my story and help other people move from shame to shine when it comes to their story. I actually felt this calling that I wanted to go back to stage and I wanted to go back to teaching and reaching a larger audience. So I started studying, went back to kind of my roots, but a little different spin, went back to studying stage, but from the point of being a professional speaker, not modeling or acting. And yeah, there's elements there, which I weave into all of my coaching as well. But I wanted to study from the best. And I had worked with Tony Robbins, but that was like in the late 90s. And so I went back in around, let's see, what, 2013, 2014, and started studying, speaking with Brendan Burchard, Bowie, and some of these big names on stage, and different aspects of speaking so that I could go out and actually speak on health and fitness. That's what I thought I was going to do. I thought that was my calling. I'm gonna marry my previous stage work experience with health and fitness, combine all that and become a speaker and help women create their dream body. And as I started on this journey, I could feel, it's like I could feel this energy that was going in one direction, I could feel it waning. Like the sizzle wasn't there, the enthusiasm wasn't there. And I have a lot of excitement and enthusiasm naturally. And I know for me, when I am passionate and excited and enthusiastic, it explodes and it just seeps through in everything that I do. That's a necessary ingredient for me to be successful. I know that about myself. So when I felt that waning for health and fitness, I was like, okay, well, what's the next thing? And I felt this calling in my heart. I love and had so much admiration for experts who had the courage to share their story and do this phenomenal work on stage. And I started to notice there were people, two, two camps of speakers, those that were experts, knew their business through front, back, side to side, but they just couldn't express it on stage with this level of charisma, this level of what I thought was obvious leadership and connection with the audience. And then there were these people that maybe had even a little bit less experience, but they could, they could share their wisdom with this pizzazz and this sizzle. And because of my modeling and acting background, I didn't realize I had a filter or a perceptual view and I could pick out these things that they were doing. And I would say, oh gosh, if that speaker would just stand up a little taller shoulders a little more back, if they would hold eye contact a little longer with the audience, yeah. break that fourth wall, come on down. Yeah. And I was thinking these things like, gosh, if I could just show them a few things, it would make a huge impact. Now let me, inter let me interrupt you and ask about turning away from the, I'm going to be a speaker and talk about health. And it could have been this smooth where you just, you know, saw that was waning and this thing was getting louder and but in my experience, it doesn't always, when doesn't happen that smooth when you're turning your back on something that, you know, the training and the health and you kind of feel like, but that's what I know. And that's what I, that's why I started this, you know, that's why I started this path to, to do more of that. And what, 
you know, and also I'm curious your daughter's age at this time and you going through this journey of like reinventing yourself. So can you, can you um, piece some of those things together? That Yes. At this time. Oh, so great. You asked that question because two very challenging things were happening simultaneously in my personal life, and my professional life. Well, since when is it professional, personal, right? But right. you get what I'm saying. <laughs> in yeah. My family life yes. and my professional life two very, very challenging things. One, I was turning away from health and fitness and I didn't want to leave my clients. I felt so committed to them, but I knew intuitively it was the right thing. So what I did is I kept a few clients. And even today, I have a small handful of my elite clients that I still train. But as I was making the pivot, I absolutely went through imposter syndrome. Who am I to, who am I to think I can do this? Who am I to coach these experts? It's been so long since I've done anything. All of those thoughts came up and I wrestled with that for probably a good nine months feeling not good enough. And my personal default disempowering go-to is self-doubt. That's just part of my makeup. And I know that. So I would, I would just doubt in every, every step, but you know what? I just kept moving forward. And I said, I know I'm self-doubting. I know I don't feel good enough, but I'm going to keep moving forward anyway. And to help me with the, imposter syndrome. I simply kept a journal, very small. And every day I wrote down five things that I did that was successful from the day before. And then I would meditate and receive a few inspirational words from higher power. And I would write those down. I just kept a journal and I did it every day. And within about six to nine months, the imposter syndrome went away as I continued to take action. Now, as that was happening, I was also dealing with my ex-husband because I'm married, I'm newly, I'm remarried. I married Tom the trainer. Tom the trainer, yes. Tom the trainer and I married and we have a son and I never healed the relationship with my ex. I was bitter, angrily blaming him the whole time. He was blaming me, I was blaming him. And it was getting worse. And I, we knew it was getting worse because our daughter started acting out in these ways. And your daughter was how old? At this time, she's about 12. Okay. Um, not doing well in school, um, just some outward signs of self-confidence issues. And I didn't know what to do. Which must be heartbreaking, right? Because it's like, you know, oh my, you know, I remember when I knew I was going to become a mom, I was like, I have to, I have to have my kid have a healthy relationship with her body and food. And I don't know how the F I'm going to do that. Yeah. But like, if like there's one thing I'm going to do, it's, you know, this. It's, it's that. Yeah. Yeah. And she, and she was somewhat closed down, like I would check in and ask, but she was hiding what was going on for her. And you know, it's funny, you know, the universe, God, whatever word you want to use, has a way of saying, you think you're at rock bottom? Let me show you this new bottom. <laughs> you, got a, you got a new level of low. And it's divinely designed to bring you from adversity to victory in ways you can't fathom. And that was what was happening. The rock bottom happened when I got a call from my daughter's counselor at school that she thought that my daughter was having an inappropriate relationship with an adult, but she didn't have a lot of details. I knew in my gut, again, mommy instinct, I just had this gut feeling that it was the guitar teacher. He was a 25 year old, wasn't wasn't teaching her in like a studio, it was in his home. And I just had this feeling, she's 13, he's 25. And so I rushed to school 
met with the counselor. We called in her father and he and I uncomfortably sat about three feet from each other, the closest we'd been to each other in 13 years, almost 10, I would say, since we divorced. And then the truth came out that she was in fact having a relationship with this 25 year old. And we immediately went into counseling. The counselor said, you must file a report. This is child abuse. After we did that, and I'm so proud of my daughter, we had to go to the police station and she had to wow. tell the details of what was happening. Meanwhile, she was still feeling as though she was in a relationship with him. And the, the blessing is there was no rape or anything like that. It's called grooming, where they slowly work them into a relationship that they believe is their choice and then start doing a lot of manipulation don't tell anyone if you do i'll go to jail all of this mind stuff and we filed a, a report and of course you know she ended the relationship and within a few weeks we got a call from the da the district attorney and she said this is the third report against him we're, we're preparing a case and we'd like to know if your daughter will take the stand wow and i said i don't know let me ask her we had a conversation with the counselor and she said, I'm going to do it. I said, I understand. You know, you've done so much and I'm so proud of you. A few weeks later, the district attorney called again. And she said, we have allegations that he has been working with handicapped children who cannot take the stand. Wow. And there's a possibility that what happened to her has been happening with handicapped children. Will you ask her if she'll take the stand? And so... You know, I was ready for whatever answer she wanted to give. And I had told her what happened, that this could be happening. How do you feel about it? And it was the most beautiful moment, one of the most beautiful moments of my life, because she repeated the words that I said. And she said, Mom, I can't do it for me, but I can do it for them. And she said, I'll do it. I'll take the stand. And so at 14 years old, she went to court and she told a room full of people what she'd been through with him in the room. Wow. And I'm so incredibly proud of her. And the result was that he's in jail for the next 25 years. Thank goodness. Yeah. That was the result. Yeah. And you haven't told this story before. Is that This right? is the first time. Thank you, Lisa. This is the first time that I'm sharing this publicly. We've gone through a lot of counseling, as you can imagine. Yeah. And the reason why I hasn't been told and I haven't shared it was because I was thought it was so important for me to get permission from her. <clears throat> She's 17. And, you know, I double checked right before I came on this podcast interview with her. I said, baby, are you okay? Are you really okay with me sharing this? I think it's so powerful that at your age, you did something that adults can't even find the courage to do. That adults truly, can't find the courage to do. Truly. Sure. And she smiled and she said, I am 100% okay with it, mom. Go for it. And I thought, wow, you know, when all of this, after it all happened, I realized supporting her through telling her story was one of the hardest things that I've ever done. But everything I'd been to prepared me for that moment and the beauty that came out of it, the unexpected blessing was that her father and I 
we made up. We wow. bonded. We went to counseling with just he and I, without her, without an agenda other than, you know, I just came out and said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything that happened. Please forgive me. And for the first time, shortly after that, you know, for the first time in years, we hugged. And it wasn't hugging like as a show or anything. It was hugging because it was genuine and it was real. And from that moment on, from that low point of my daughter being molested, our daughter being molested, the beauty that came out of it was a healing between he and I and her parents being reunited in co-parenting and healing. And I can happily say today that she no longer shares those hiding attributes, that lack of confidence. And she has incredible body confidence. Yes. <laughs> Which I am so proud of. <laughs> That's amazing. That's an yeah. amazing, amazing story. It sounds like an amazing young woman, you know, who had you to, you know, hold space for her to come to her place where she felt that, you know, she could share what she shared. It's amazing. Yeah. And, you know, she told me just two days ago, she told me, she said, mom, I think I might want to be a counselor. Wow. I said, I can understand why. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's like, that's just, that's a GFR, you know, podcast story in the making, right? right you know, yeah. where she's going to be sharing, you know, this experience she had when she was 13 and, you know, and the whole thing and how yeah. that, you know, led her to be a counselor. I, I wanted to ask you something. And this is inspired by one of our other shows, an early episode, episode 10, is called From House Prisoner to Six-Figure Spiritual Mentor. And the guest is Lisa Turner. And she talks about how, how she and her parents you know, allowed her, um, moved away with a man and mm -hmm. was held prisoner you know, with this man for six years, I think. And the thing that she often talks about is the, the idea of grooming. And because people are, of course, like, how the hell did your parents let that happen? And there's like all, you know, people just don't, you know, they don't really get it. And so can you share how it came about that the counselor suspected this? Mm, mm. Yeah. For anyone in the audience that might be relating to this in some way, how it came out with the counselor is they were doing an exercise on appropriate physical contact at certain ages. And so there was, as I understand it, there was just a worksheet that said at this, at this age, holding hands is great. At this age, kissing. At this age, heavy petting. At this age, you know, sex, I imagine, was on there. And it went up to high school age. And my daughter said, what if the person that you're interacting with what if their age isn't on the sheet? And thank God the counselor was smart, quick, and acted enough. Quickly that day called me and we collaborated and you know, wow. figured out what was happening. Wow. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. But I also have to say, I also want to say this for any mom or anyone out there that might be connecting to this. If I could go back, knowing then what I know now, you had a really did did. I felt like there was too much admiration. She was really admiring him. And I just, my gut said, things off. Something is off and real open. Here's another level of openness. I think she had asked me something about, is it okay to wear like G-string underwear? And that was like, 
wait, why is it important for you to wear, looking at your underwear, why is this suddenly important? So there were a couple of things that, not just one, but collectively, it was yeah. like, there's something happening here and I don't, I think I know what it is, I don't want it to be that. And I don't know how to talk to her, her father about it because I'm afraid, here's, here's my fear, I'm afraid I'll be considered making mountains out of molehills. You know, he's the chill one. I'm the overreacting one. And I was also somewhat afraid that if I didn't have his support, that the truth wouldn't continue to come out. She would hide it more. And had I known then what I know now, I would have probably communicated with the school counselor. And I'm so grateful that she was with a school counselor, that I had made that step, that if she ever felt, and it wasn't like a regular meeting, it was like, if you ever just feel the need with all the things that kids go through, please talk to a counselor. So she already had a relationship there. Had I known then, I, I think I would have said, can you just have an eye out for this and let me know? Yeah. And of course, it's because it's a terrible thing. And so there's a part of you that just completely does not want to go there. Like, you know, you just, Intuition is yeah. such a profound thing. You know, one of our commandments, number seven is trust yourself, trust your gut, you know, and the, and the confession question is, what is my intuition telling me? What does my heart say? You know, and, and this is not just in business, you know, but it is a blind spot. People don't necessarily apply it to business. They think they don't have the expertise, but you could say the same thing about your intuition. Well, what do I know about that? You know, why, you know, why would I think that, you know, kind of thing and, and to discount it. So I'm so grateful that it was, you know, stopped and interrupted, you know, when it was. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Thank you for your courage to share that story. Thank your daughter, please, because I think it's really going to be very, very powerful on many levels. I hope one day she'll be able to tell her own story on a stage or platform, whether it's like this or some other, because I think there are a lot of young girls who could benefit from it. We should listen to that Lisa Turner's episode because the way that she speaks about being house prisoner, I mean, it's so unfathomable and she has a book. It's so unfathomable, but I look at the after, like she's a spirit, she's an amazing spiritual mentor. She's in the UK. She's an amazing, she's a really kick-ass lady. And, uh, you know, so our paths, you know, as, as, as crappy and crazy as they could look at any given time, if we have even a small inkling of a context that this has a purpose. You know, I know on a day-to-day -day basis when crap happens, that, that inspires me like, okay, I know I'm gonna share this and this is gonna help, but you know, on a macro level, you know, just like you've so beautifully exhibited here, you know, to, you know, really to surrender to that, that knowing that I, I have, you know, it all served a purpose. You know, our, our every, every twist um, and turn in the story of our lives and the, even especially the things we're ashamed of, especially the things mm. we're ashamed of can be, and I believe are part of our future in some way. Yeah, and I think the real growth point is what are you afraid of? Find that space, that thing you're not willing to look at. I'm afraid to tell my personal story. I'm afraid that it's gonna be true that she's having a relationship with someone almost 10 years older than her. I'm afraid of what my ex is going to say, will he pit her against me? Being really honest with yourself and saying, what is it that I'm afraid of? And is there a way to move with it or dance with it or through it so that 
the ultimate cost doesn't happen. What if, what if that counselor had not contacted me? What if I didn't have the courage to go to counseling with her dad? So much would be lost and so many people wouldn't be hearing this story. And so, yes, the, the benefit of all of the crap that we go through, that it is there, but I think it doesn't blossom. It's like a lotus. It has to go through all that muck and that crap, you know, and get to the top until it can really come out and shine. And I remember when we were going through this with my daughter and, you know, there were days when she felt suicidal. She was suicidal over this and cutting. She was cutting herself. I don't know if anyone's familiar with that, but this was, this was no small thing. And I remember telling her, I don't know what good is going to come from this, but I can tell you now we're going to make something good from this and we're going to have faith and we're going to faith it until we make it. Cute. Cute and powerful. Faith it until we make it. Yes. Thank you for that. My heart. Thank you. I really, truly thank, tell her, Lisa Cherney, thanks you because, and, and she should, you should have her listen to this because she's, she's going to be a proud daughter and um, yeah, phenomenal. I mean, my daughter's 14. So I was really choked up when you, cause I just really dropped into that possibility, just like unfathomable. So yeah. it's your worst nightmare, but we were able to turn it into something really beautiful. Yeah. And, and oh, that's right. That's it. That's the takeaway. That's it. That's the GFR show folks. That's right. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Mic drop. Yes, <laughs> totally. So, so, so in closing, what do I want to ask you in closing? I think I just want to, for you to check into your intuition and what, it, you know, kind of in the spirit, if you knew then what you know now, like what is that last sort of message or could be a quote or, or, or something that you feel will give it the glow mm, that we want it to have yeah. on our exit here. <laughs> I just, I can't help but look at our life as a story, a narrative. And so many times I feel like some, we could feel like somebody else is writing it and that we're not in control or we don't have the power. But I think that if you can see your life as a beautiful story with many chapters, twists and turns and, and a pit you know, I have a framework for storytelling that goes from the pit, which is the bottom, to the pinnacle, which is the top. And we have many pits and many pinnacles. And the turning point is where you can embrace that fear, embrace the shame that you may be feeling, and turn that shame. Just start with the intention of turning the shame into something that can shine. Because when we're in shame, we so much go inward and we wear that. You and I were talking in the green room before we started. We're wearing this armor. I don't want anyone to know. I want to hide. And I remember when I was putting that armor down and it felt so heavy. I didn't even know I was carrying around this really heavy armor that I didn't want anyone to see my shame and all the things that I was afraid of. And when I put it down, I felt so raw, so vulnerable. I would cry at the drop of a hat and I was afraid that the bullets would be coming at any moment. And what ends up happening is when you are in your peak of fear and you do it anyway, it does not feel like courage, but that is exactly what other people see. Nice. That is exactly what they see, but it doesn't feel that way. And so it's this beautiful paradox. I think it's a great distinction because I've, I've had an experience of people not liking that word or repelling from that word courage, or I'm not courageous. And I like that. It's like a reframe of you may not feel that way, but that is what people will see. I love that. 
Yeah, yeah. And I think that's what our, me- our life is meant to be. Uh, pits and valleys, pits and, and pinnacles where mm-hmm. we can show our light, you know, and if we're always wearing that armor, that light can't come out. Yes. Yeah. So shine your light. Awesome. I love it. And we're going to, we're going to dive into a bit of your storytelling expertise with our GFR squad members in here and just in a little bit. Um, Holly, thank you so much for being you, living your story, walking it out, um, being here to tell it, seeing your divine life purpose and embracing it, which is to help other people live and embrace their stories and their expertise and their star power and all that good stuff. And, and again, thank you for, for being willing to share a little bit more of yourself and let it unfold here on the GFR show. Thank you so much, Lisa. It's been an absolute honor and truly a privilege to be able to open up even more with your audience. Thank you. And thank you for all that you do for creating that safe space. You are very welcome. (laughs) Bye for now. Well, that was super fun. Isn't she just, oh my gosh, like you can't can't even imagine her being a cracked out model, but I'm glad that she is still here and she is here to tell her story because it just seems so important. Hey, we got a free gift for y'all, which we love to do around here, which is the hottest 15 hand gestures and the five never to use. (laughs) So you can grab a link to that bonus in our show notes. And also if you want to take the body language IQ quiz, you just join the GFR squad and then jump over to our, what we call our squad quad, which is our Facebook group where all of the bonuses from all of our guests live. And we got all kinds of stuff from how to have a threesome to how to do great video to how to survive living with a narcissist to uh, how to deal with conflict. I mean, the, the topics are wide and, and, and varied and juicy. And all of that is over in our uh, community Facebook group for the GFR squad. So grab your spot in the squad at squad, and you'll see Holly's bonus there immediately. And then you can dive into all the other good stuff that's in there. Also a deep dive into the GFR commandments is in there as well. If you want to support to walk through those. And if you haven't grabbed your commandments, well, that's step one, go to gfr.life12c12 and the letter C. And it's been great to be with you. And I look forward to seeing you next time.